You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. Here's Nate. Well, in Exodus chapter 26, we find ourselves in the midst of a section of Scripture where God is laying out for Moses as he's up on top of Mount Sinai the religious worship requirements of the nation. He has talked to them of the Ark of the Covenant specifically and firstly, and then the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. He has told Moses of the table of showbread and what that would look like and what would rest on top of the table of showbread. He's talked to Moses of the golden lampstand that would occupy the holy place. And so basically what you have here is that God is starting with the Ark of the Covenant and really even what's inside the Ark of the Covenant, the testimony, the Ten Commandments, starting from there and moving then outwards, you have God describing for Moses this tabernacle, this place of worship. And today here in chapter 26, we have now God describing for Moses what the actual tabernacle itself will look like. And so keep in mind that basically what you have here is a two-roomed tent, 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, with two distinct rooms inside of that little tent, covered with linen, then covered with a protective covering over the official tabernacle, surrounded by a linen fence that created a courtyard area where the sacrifices would be offered. And so we take a look first here in chapter 26 at the curtains and the coverings over the tabernacle. He says in verse 1, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twilled linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You remember those colors. They tend to remind us of blue, heaven, purple, a royal color, and scarlet, the color of blood, which of course reminds us of our heavenly king who shed his blood for us. He says, you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edges of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold, these rings of gold, and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. So a couple of things to point out here. As you walked inside of the tabernacle, basically the walls and the ceiling would be this beautiful twilled linen set of curtains. Some people think that the inside of the tabernacle was actually walled, as we'll see a description of that in a moment. And others think that it was more of a latticework kind of thing. Either way, you'd be able to see the linen, at the very least, in the roof, but I think that probably also 
on the sides as well. I don't think that they actually had wooden walls. I think they were more wooden beams that are going to be described here in just a moment. And so what you have then is this white linen with blue and purple and scarlet decorating it, as well as cherubim skillfully worked into them. So you'd walk into the tabernacle if you're a priest to serve the Lord. You go to the table of the showbread or you go to the lampstand or you go to the altar of incense, which we have yet to cover. God does not mention it yet to Moses. You go to each of these places and you're seeing now the images of these angels put upon the linen curtains. And it would just remind you that what you're doing is a very heavenly thing. And that the angels are, in a sense, watching and observing your life. And I think it's good for us to serve God with a bit of a sense of understanding that we are being watched. We're not without supervision. There is a God in heaven. There is a heavenly reality where our thoughts, our intentions, our motivations, what we do when we're alone, it's, it's being seen by the Lord. And in that spiritual realm, there's an observation of what's taking place. That sense within us should cause us to say, I want to do all that I do, as Paul said to the Colossian church, heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. And so that sense of understanding, we are serving before the Lord. Another thing that you see here is that all of these curtains are made and they're actually fastened together with these golden loops. Someone, of course, has made the point that loops are a wonderful symbol of love because they are an endless line, a circle. It never ends. And so what you see here is that these golden loops are holding together the curtains of the tabernacle. And one might wonder if that's a beautiful picture of the reality that it is love that holds together the work of worship and ministry and serving the Lord. So when you look at the measurements of all of these different curtains, basically what you have is that the inner curtain over the tabernacle, it would fall on the north side and the south side. So the long sides of the tabernacle, that rectangle that made this tabernacle, they would fall down with just a foot above the ground, just a foot to spare. And then over the back of the tabernacle on the west side, it would completely and perfectly cover the back end, the place where the Holy of Holies was located. And so just a beautiful work of art being put together here. And really in one sense, that is the tabernacle. He says in verse 7, he says, You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. So what you have now is that everything after this, strictly speaking, is not tabernacle stuff. You've got the linen curtains that were already spoken of in verse 1 through 6, but now you have these curtains of goat's hair, which in, in that place and time would have been black goat's hair. And so you've got this black goat's hair, sort of waterproofing, weatherproof kind of covering that would cover and he says, put it over the tabernacle. So it's kind of like saying, this part really isn't the tabernacle. It's the protective coat over the tabernacle. And really a lot of the beauty of the tabernacle, the fine artistry and all of that would be covered from the outside by the next few layers that God would describe. And I think that's beautiful because 
you know, as we know, those on the outside looking in maybe see our worship as nonsensical or as an ugly thing. But those who are inside, we know how beautiful it is to serve the Lord, to sit at his feet, to partake of him at his table, to see his light, to offer our prayers before him. Just a beautiful thing. And so he says, you take these curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle, 11 curtains you shall make. The length of each curtain, verse 8, shall be 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, 4 cubits. The 11 curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple 5 curtains by themselves, and 6 curtains by themselves, and the 6th curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. So instead of just letting it flop over the entrance to the tabernacle, on the opposite side of the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, they were to fold it over, so a little bit of an entrance there. And you shall, verse 10, make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. And so this cover of goat's hair would, you know, actually go all the way now to the ground. There'd be no gap left between this cover and the ground. It would actually touch the ground on all sides except, of course, the side with the entrance into the holy place. And inside the tabernacle, just by way of reminder, you've got the two compartments. One is smaller, and it's called the Holy of Holies, or the holiest of all. And then you have another area where the table of showbread, altar of incense, and the lampstand occupied, and that is the holy place. And so a powerful place, but not quite the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would reside. And in verse 11, he says, And you shall make... 50 clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single hole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, so we're talking now about the front there, the part that went over the top of the tabernacle, there was a half curtain, it was a half curtain too long. And he said, it shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. So probably hanging over some think it would be folded up. Others think it would just sort of lay down onto the ground, kind of like a bride on her wedding day as she walks down the aisle and her the train or the veil, you know, or the bottom of her dress sort of trailing behind her. It's kind of the look that you would have coming off the backside of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins on top. And of course, the entire cover to the tabernacle was provided through the death of these goats. And so there would be this strong visual lesson that without death, without the shedding of blood, there is no fellowship with God. And I think it's so important for us as we approach the Lord, as we spend time with him, to remember that a steep price was paid, not by goats, but by the Lamb of God, in order to enable us to come into a place of fellowship with him. I think sometimes when we open up our Bibles and we open up our mouths and begin to speak to the Lord, we treat it you know, at times when it's, this isn't fresh within our hearts, we treat it a little too 
flippantly. Remember, dear Christian, that a deep and steep price was paid in order for you and I to have a friendship and fellowship with the God of heaven. Now, verse 15, we move from that goatskin cover or the other covers over the tabernacle into the actual framework itself of the tabernacle. It starts out in verse 15 and he says, you shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. So again, the same wood that's been used throughout. 10 cubits, verse 16, shall be the length of a frame and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side, and 40 bases of silver you shall make under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, 20 frames, and there 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. So now you've got the two long sides of the tabernacle have been described, the frames and the foundations, these silver bases that would be used. And then he goes on to describe the west side of the tabernacle, which would be referred to as the rear. It's where the Holy of Holies was at, the entrance being on the east side. He says, and for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames. You shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear, and they shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them, they shall form the two corners. And there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame, and two bases under another frame. Now, admittedly, just reading this aloud and teaching this via audio, you know, I tend to be a little bit more of a visual person. I can picture this in my mind, but it helps so much to just see a picture. Basically, what you've got here is God describing for Moses the structure that would hold the linen tent and then the covering on top of the linen curtains that had been clasped together. And a couple of things to point out. I think I mentioned earlier, in verse 15, he says, you shall make upright frames. And some have translated this upright walls and have come to the conclusion that there were these boards that created these solid walls on the side of the tabernacle. But it could have just been these beams that would be a little bit more like a trellis structure, and I tend to lean that way. One thing that's important to notice is that as they built these acacia wood beams to support everything, they would actually place them in these bases. And the bases that God alludes to would be made out of silver and were actually very heavy. There'd be a, a hundred talents of silver would have to be donated in order for these bases to be built, each talent weighing 75 pounds, so 7,500 pounds of silver used for the foundation of this tent. You know, it had to stand. It couldn't fall over. It needed to be very strong, even in the face of bad weather conditions and all of that. It had to be able to stand. So they laid these foundations out, built these silver bases by which the tabernacle would stand. Now, here's the interesting thing about those silver bases. 
Later on in the book of Exodus, chapter 30, the silver that the Israelites donated is described as ransom or atonement money. In other words, it's the price that was paid. They received this as a result of being ransomed by the Lord. So in one sense, what you could say is the foundation of the tabernacle, these silver bases, the foundation of the tabernacle rested on their redemption. Uh, they could build no foundation without their redemption. And this is so all important because what it speaks to is of the reality that there be no fellowship for the people of Israel with the God of Israel had there been no redemption. There is no fellowship for us with God unless he redeems our souls. It's by the blood of Christ that we stand in fellowship with him. And so that redemption price has been paid by Jesus Christ. We receive him and enter into a fellowship with him far greater than the tabernacle could ever provide. He goes on in verse 26 and says, You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frame shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and make their rings of gold for holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. So, all of these gold connectors inside of the tabernacle for the beams, for the curtains. And once you get outside of the tabernacle, we'll begin to see bronze. That's the metal that is used in relationship to man, but the metal used in relationship to God inside the tabernacle was gold. Now in chapter 26, verse 31, we move towards the veils that are inside of the tabernacle. He says in verse 31, And you shall make a veil of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. So, very similar material to the curtains. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. So again, a similar thing. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold, on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps, and bring the ark of the testimony in there with the veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. And you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. So what he's describing here is really simple. Inside of the tabernacle there would be this veil that would separate the holy place from the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant would reside. This veil is a permanent veil designed to separate those who would go in to replace the oil or the bread or offer incense before the Lord, designed to separate them from the holy of holies, the actual presence of God there at the Ark of the Covenant seated upon the mercy seat and so this veil was there. I mean, it would separate the people from God. There was this barrier 
not a firm, fixed structure, but a barrier. And we don't have to guess at what this veil indicates. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. This veil points us to the flesh of Christ as crucified on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross, of course, and yielded up his spirit, there was a great earthquake, and the veil in the temple, which was the structure that followed the tabernacle, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, indicating that God himself was the one involved in destroying that veil. The separation was no longer necessary because Jesus Christ, the true veil, was torn here on earth. And so fellowship is opened up to man. Relationship with God is opened up to man because of the torn flesh of Jesus Christ. After describing the veil, God then in verse 36 describes the front door to the tabernacle. He says, You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. So very similar. It doesn't specifically say embroidered with cherubim. It just says embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. So now you're beginning to see the place where man enters into the tabernacle and the bases there are actually made with bronze because men are going to interact with this entrance so much more. And this veil, of course, prevented anyone from the outside of the tabernacle from being able to look inside of the a tabernacle to see the holy place, let alone the veil which led to the holy of holies. Chapter 27, verse 1, we begin to see the altar. Outside now of the tabernacle, in front of the tabernacle was this altar. He says, you shall make the altar. This is the place that the sacrifices would be offered. And of course, it's important to see that the first thing that someone would see upon entering the gate would be the place that animals would be sacrificed and offered to God in order for that fellowship to occur. Just an important message for people to know. Blood must be shed for man to have fellowship with God. The altar would be five cubits long, verse 1, and five cubits broad. The altar shall be a square, and the height shall be three cubits. So you've got five cubits long and broad. It's a square. You shall, verse 2, Make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. So they make the altar with acacia wood, but cover it now with bronze. A bronze altar, the metal which deals with man, and then, of course, it's a metal that often points to judgment as well. And so there's sin judged there in this bronze altar. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes, and shovels, and basins, and forks, and fire pans. So all of these utensils. There'd be a lot of animals being burnt on that altar. So you'd have to deal with the ashes. So there were shovels and basins. 
You shall make all the utensils as well, verse 3, of bronze. You shall, verse 4, also make for it a grating, a network of bronze. And on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners, and you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the net extends halfway down the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze, and the poles shall be put through the rings so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards. So three specifics about this altar. First of all, it had this grating, also called a network of bronze or a net. And it's very possible that this was helping support the altar, kind of halfway up it, but it may have been the place where the meat that would be cooked for them to eat was actually barbecued right there on that altar. How cool is that? But secondly, you also see that it has rings and poles that are made for it in order to carry the altar wherever it needs to go. Not overlaid with gold, but overlaid with bronze. And isn't it wonderful that this altar was portable? It would go with them wherever they went. And it's so nice as a believer to know that we worship God in spirit and in truth. Wherever we are, wherever we're at, we can revisit the altar. We can revisit that place of sacrifice, Mount Calvary, be refreshed and washed. And one of the ways the Lord does that for us is with communion, which is a highly portable event. And then lastly, with this altar, he says that at the bottom of it, you shall make it hollow with boards. So we don't know exactly what that means, but it's possible that underneath it, there was this hollow space where they would fill it up with rocks and fire, and it would create heat, obviously, in order for that barbecue to occur. And so just a great thing there with the altar, the place of sacrifice before the Lord. Now we shift to the court outside of the tabernacle. He says, as it has been shown you on the mountain, so shall it be made. You shall, verse 9, make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side of the court shall have hangings of fine twined linen, a hundred cubits long for one side. Its 20 pillars and their 20 bases shall be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. So we're basically just reading now of the fence around the tabernacle. And likewise, for its length on the north side, there shall be hangings a hundred cubits long, its pillars 20 and their bases 20 of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And for the bread of the court, the breadth of the court on the west side, there shall be hangings for 50 cubits, with 10 pillars and 10 bases. So this is the backside where the Holy of Holies is located. And the breadth, verse 13, of the court on the front, this is where the gate is, to the east shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. On the other side, the hangings shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. So basically, you're looking at an entrance there of 30 feet, a 30 feet wide gate leading to the courtyard. For, verse 16, the gate of the court, there should be a 20 cubits uh, wide screen of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twilled linen embroidered with needlework. So very similar. You enter past that curtain and then the priest would go past the next curtain. Three curtains total 
to get all the way in, and it shall have four pillars and with them four bases. All the pillars around the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be a hundred cubits and the breadth fifty and the height five cubits with hangings of fine twined linen and bases of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for every use and all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. So basically you have this courtyard, three entrances to get all the way into the Holy of Holies. It's a very small place, by the way, about the quarter of a size of a regular sized American football field. Just a small space, the courtyard, and then of course the tabernacle inside of it. And those three entrances are fascinating because I think that oftentimes there are three types of believers. Those that are just in the courtyard celebrating the sacrifice and that they've been saved. Then there are those in the holy place attending to the lampstand and the table of showbread and the altar of incense, celebrating their service unto the Lord. And then finally, those in the holy of holies who realize the beauty of just sitting before the Lord in fellowship with him. Let's close out the chapter in verse 20 and 21 by looking at the oil that would be used. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may be regularly set up to burn. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons, and that's where we're going in the next few chapters, the priesthood, shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. And so God gives the commands concerning the oil and that it had to continually burn there inside of the tabernacle. So this was a continual provision of olive oil for this to be able to work. There's a beautiful vision in Zechariah chapter 4 where Zechariah sees a lampstand with pipes attached to it connected to an olive tree suggesting a continual supply of oil. God then speaks to Zerubbabel, who saw this vision and says, It's not by might and not by power, but by my spirit that you will accomplish the work of ministry in your life. It's so wonderful now to know that as we're called to be the light of the world, the Holy Spirit has been given to us to continually fuel us to be that light. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.